Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. The final four is set. Spring grilling weather has officially arrived, and there is room for improvement in college baseball in the state of Mississippi. Those are the things that we learned this weekend. Glad to be with you on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. You can log on to PearlRiverResort.com to find out more. Again, that's PearlRiverResort.com. Join us, won't you, on the Ceasefire text line. I'm sure you have thoughts on the weekend. We'll have winners and losers to start the 4 o'clock hour. We are scheduled to visit with Scott Berry, Chris Lamonis, and Mike Bianco throughout the course of the show this afternoon, as we do each week during the baseball season, and uh, a whole lot more. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Ceasefire text line has helped. You join the conversation at 601-879-4395. All right, boys, spot the lie. The final four is set. True or false? That is true. That's true. Spring grilling weather has arrived. True or false? That is true. I had to race to get those steaks done last night, but yes. But yes, there is room for improvement in college baseball in the state of Mississippi. True or false? That is also true. <laughs> no lies detected absolutely true. in the opening minute and a half of Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to be with you boys and good to be with all of you this afternoon across the Magnolia State. What's yeah, you, up? You know what I always say, thank God for Southern Miss. I mean, honestly, should have swept this weekend. Uh, should have. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you always say? That's what I always say. Uh, but yeah, should have swept this weekend, uh, unfortunately, uh it kind of blew it in in game three. It had a three run lead, or excuse me, a one run lead, and lost by two uh, in the going into the ninth. But either way, they won their series. So at least somebody around here played good baseball this weekend. Somebody did. So we have that. Yeah, two out of three this weekend for Southern Miss against Georgia Southern, and a series that was not without some fireworks on uh, on Saturday as part of a doubleheader. We will uh, we will ask Scott Barry about that mm-hmm. this afternoon. I don't know if Georgia Southern had a radio announcer that uh, had such an electric call like we had from Louisiana a couple years ago. You remember that? Mm-mm. Oh I man, I, I've got the audio on my Twitter somewhere. So. I forget who hit the home run, because it was a few years ago. But Southern Miss, it's a home run. 
And whoever it was walked up the first baseline and did a bat flip. And the Louisiana announcer crew absolutely lost their minds. And they were so mad. They were like, oh, you're, you're going to flip your bat now? Oh, my God. And, I mean, two adult men had toddler-esque meltdowns live on the radio because a Southern Miss player dared flip his bat in the year 2021. i got to find that audio for you. It is hysterical. Somebody says it was Danny Lynch that uh, Danny did the Lynch. bat flipping at the time. So, oh, man. Uh, and there you go. and the, 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 the color analyst, right before they melt down, says the phrase, calm down, and then the home run is hit. And then he flips out about the home being hit. Classic. I don't think that happened this weekend after the little brouhaha, but I wish it did. So Ole Miss got swept this weekend at home to the Florida Gators. They lost game one, 9-7, to seven, part of a uh, doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, and that's the game that, that really kind of sticks with you because Ole Miss had a, uh, they had a lead late in the ball game, but uh, Florida offensively, would not be held down. Ole Miss gave up six runs combined in the eighth and the ninth inning. Four in the top of the eighth, two in the top of the ninth, and lost it by two, nine to seven. Florida got the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday as well. They won that one 12 to eight. Ole Miss made it a little bit more of a game late. And then yesterday, seven to four, again, Florida able to just kind of pull away at the end, just a little more than the Ole Miss pitching could handle. None of the games were blowouts over the, uh, over the course of the weekend, and yet, all three games are check marks in the right-hand columns. It's an 0-3 weekend and an 0-6 start to SEC play. And so Ole Miss really has dug itself a hole, and it doesn't get a whole lot easier as they go on the road to Texas A&M this coming weekend and then will come back home to face the Arkansas Razorbacks in a three-game series. And, oh, by the way, before they play Texas A&M in College Station this weekend, they play Southern Miss in Pearl on Tuesday night, tomorrow night. So... Yeah, if you score seven and eight runs, especially against that Florida pitching staff, it's not like they scored seven and eight runs against Purdue in Game 1 and Game 2, with all due respect to the Boilermakers. That is elite pitching that they saw, and they crushed it. Seven runs and eight runs in a doubleheader at home, and they lost both games. I mean, what more can you ask of your offense? They crushed elite-level pitching, and it wasn't enough. Yeah, and, and, and so disappointing results all the way around for Ole Miss. But I don't know if you're looking at it right now with a complete all-is-lost mentality going forward for the remainder of conference play. Now, you, you can't continue to dig the hole any deeper, though, if you're Ole Miss. they got to find a couple of wins in College Station this weekend. And then there was Starkville. Game one, while we were on the air, did not come to it uh, to its conclusion until we got off of the air. Uh, I, I texted Hey, or I tried to call Hey Dad right after we got off the air on Friday. He did not answer, and he sent me a text. He said, "What's up?" And I said, "Well, Jim Ellis made me laugh. I flicked, uh, flipped on the game when I, I got off the radio, uh, off the air with you guys." Um, I said, Ron Polk made me laugh. I got in the car and I heard Jim say, never in my wildest dreams did I think that it would be 21-2 to two in the sixth inning. And Ron Polk responded, well, that's baseball. Which was, that was a very on-brand response for Ron Polk. Um, it's like Tony seasoning. It goes on everything. 26-3, uh, to three, Vanderbilt won game one. 18-5, to five, 
Vanderbilt won game two, and then a closer game yesterday. Vandy led 11-3. to Mississippi State cut into the lead. It was 11-7 to for the final. Um, what I'm hearing you say is oof. they got better each day. In terms of margin of defeat, yes, they, they hey, improved. Another they could have played them days. ten straight. They could have played them ten days in a row. Might have gotten a win there at the end. So Vanderbilt hits a couple of grand slams, and there was a three-run homer in the first game. I, I, I thought... Parker I th- Nolan hit a couple of grand slams all by himself. Well, here's the thing. I thought on Friday that R.J. Shrek was having a good day. For Vanderbilt. He was. He was. When he was he three for three with two three-run home runs and a two-run double for eight runs batted in, and then you looked at the day that Parker Nolan had where he went five for six with 11 runs batted in, including two grand slams. It's, it's really no coincidence that there was a three-way tie for SEC Player of the Week today between Parker Nolan... Uh, Caglione at Florida, and Dylan Cruz, who's just otherworldly right now. So the two te- two guys from teams that played in Mississippi and the best player in college baseball. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a bunch of the LSU game on Friday because they started at noon that day. And Chris Blair and Doug Thompson, that's the radio pair. And, yeah, whatever. They do a good job. Chris has an amazing voice. But they were talking during the broadcast about whether or not LSU had the number one and number two picks in no particular order in the draft. And they very well might with the combination of Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens. It is, I think, the Didn't word Van you Horn just used was otherworldly. Best pitcher that he's ever seen in college. Isn't that what Van Horn said after the game? Something like that, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm fairly certain he used that exact phrase, that that is the best pitcher I've ever seen in college. And Dave Van Horn has seen a lot of pitchers, and that is the week after Jim Schlossnagel famously said, Paul Skeens is pitching in the wrong league. He should be in either the American League or the National League. It's he, yeah. He's sitting 98-101 to 101 with his fastball. Right. Skeens is for sure the first pick. I don't know if Cruz is the second pick or not, but he could be. Hey, it's uh, it's impressive stuff. Um, hey, Dad, I'm glad that we have a very back finite stay. amount of time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have a finite amount of time here because I want to give the rest of this first segment to you. Feel free. Oh. Vanderbilt came into Starkville hitting 267 as a team. They left hitting 284. They hit 383 on the weekend. They were 46 of a, of 120. Vanderbilt had a three-game series recently with Loyola Marymount. Now, I love Loyola Marymount. Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball, basketball, great. They only scored 10 runs total in that series, which they lost one game. They scored 55 on Mississippi State, which has given up 90 runs in six SEC games. Without looking, that's got to be a record. State's record, State's ERA and SEC play is 14. It's above 14, which probably, you know, obviously doesn't take into account the fact that they give up a couple runs a game unearned as well. So we don't have enough time for me to go through everything that is wrong with Mississippi State baseball, but I can sum it up. Everything is wrong with Mississippi State baseball right now. 
Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We will talk with Scott Ferry, the head baseball coach at Southern Miss, on the other side of this break with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. Triple eight eight zero eight eight six three seven on Super Talk Mississippi. Supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Great to be with you as always. Coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Visit them online at DancingRabbitGolf.com to book your tee time or plan your trip today. Southern Miss hosted Georgia Southern in a three-game series this weekend. They got started with uh, game one of a doubleheader on Saturday with a 4-3 to win over Georgia Southern. They won the second game of the doubleheader and then jo- dropped game three of the series yesterday. Scott Barry joins us now. Coach, uh, congratulations. You get a conference series win. Got to be, uh, at least for the most part, feeling good after the weekend, I would think. Is that, uh, is that a good way to start? Played really well. There were three really competitive games and all close games. Uh, so, you know, I feel really good that we were able to win the series. And honestly, there had an opportunity on, on the, on the second game on Saturday, which was the third game in the series that we could easily won that too and, and swept. But, uh, but they were a good club, Georgia Southern that we played and we knew that going in and certainly they showed it by being able to, to come back and, and be able to take that third game. Have you found the formula on Friday in Game One? And I, and I know things still have to go right, but but Tanner Hall and then handed off to Cross Sibley. I, I got to think that that gives you at least the feeling going in that you got a really good chance in the first game of a series, regardless of who you're playing. Yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, and and if if Tanner can cover the innings like like he's been able to do, then certainly we can use Cross in there to bridge to to Justin Storm if we have to have to go that route. But you know, on uh, on Friday we uh, we we moved the game up to four o'clock from the six o'clock start to try to get in front of that weather, and glad that we did. But we were uh, we were. Um, Tanner went five and a third innings, and uh, but we had a 53-minute lightning delay, and we just didn't feel good about putting him back out there. He was at 85 pitches, and just with the long season, just wasn't the right thing to do. And Cross Sibley, who came in there with the bases loaded and one out in three pitches, was able to to uh, to induce a six-four-three double play ball to end that threat. So that was the huge momentum swing in that game one for sure. Scott, what's the what, what's the time frame that you can live with to bring a pitcher back? Uh, if you have a weather delay, is it half an hour? Is it 40, 45 minutes? How, how does that work when you're trying to decide whether you can bring a guy back in? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the individual, honestly, Richard. Just uh, first of all, you're gonna you're gonna side with the player safety side uh, 100%. And most of the time that player is going to try to talk you into, Coach, let me let me go back out there. But, you know, in Tanner's situation, he was at 85 pitches and we're closing in to almost an hour that we were delayed. Uh, he had really done his job and had gotten us into the sixth inning. Certainly it felt like that he could have gone a little longer if the delay hadn't interrupted it. But 
uh, you know, to, to really just kind of answer your question, I think it's more on the situation, uh, where the game is, how many how many pitches he's thrown, and and then what type of body makeup does that guy have, and uh, you know that that's going to play into a lot of the factors and deciding what to do. All right, so you get the game one win, and then I, I guess we should pause here just for a second. Friday night was such a difficult night for the state of Mississippi in, in two specific areas, South Delta there around Rolling Fork and then up in Amory and northeast Mississippi as well. And, you know, you're, you're in the middle of trying to play a baseball game, and yet you're a Mississippian, and I'm sure there's a great deal of concern for, for folks all over the state. Well, there certainly is. I mean, um, you know, our state hurts right now for those that were devastated by those those tornadoes and uh, losing lives and losing property and in a lot of cases losing everything they have and, and, yeah. and virtually having to start over. And certainly, well, we, we've seen this before. We've seen Mississippi rise and come to the aid of, of, of our of our neighbors, and certainly that'll happen in, in this situation again. But certainly our thoughts and prayers are, are out to the, the communities, Rowan Fort, Amory, that were devastated by those storms. So, Scott, you, you have two games on Saturday. You know it's going to be a long day at the yard, and I know there's – uh, an area of game one of the doubleheader that a lot of people are focusing on. We'll get to that in a second. But the offense overall, nine runs on 13 hits in that ball game on the way to a 9-7 win. Did you feel like maybe you turned a little bit of a corner offensively here? Yeah, I really did. And that's something that we've really been kind of searching for. We've Of the nine losses, they have been of different uh, different things that affected the loss uh, it hadn't been just one thing that we've been absent of but you know being able to play that complete game and, and really having the insurance of, of scoring runs to take some pressure off from a off from a pitching staff that is about half of it new and, and new to this level of game was really really big um, certainly uh slade wilkes's three-run homer there in the in the uh, bottom of the eighth was the, the clincher for us and, and mm-hmm. really pushed that and gave us that momentum as, as we moved through. But, yeah, it was it was good to see our guys really have a, a great approach at the plate and, and swing the bats like, you know, certainly we, we want them to. All right, so I was trying to piece it all together through Twitter and videos that people were posting and, and everything else. Walk us through the uh, the drama there in the bottom of the eighth inning. Obviously, the, the home run is the big part of it for you guys because that proves to be the, the winning home run in the ball game. But the benches kind of clear. There's some ejection. There's some misunderstanding as who's out or how long they're out. So just kind of walk us through that if you don't mind. Well, certainly it was a it was a time of emotions from both both sides. But we were down um, we were down seven to six going into the bottom of the eighth, and got a couple of base runners on with two outs, and they went to the pen and and Slade Wilkes uh, put a really good swing on a pitch to to put us up two runs and uh, hit a three run homer. And in the process of that, uh, you know, he uh, honestly as as after he hit the ball, he started walking out of the box, took two or three steps, kind of flipped the bat up in the air, which is now a uh, what they call a bat flip warning uh, that they just came out with this week in the NCAA. So uh, when he crossed home plate, apparently there were some words, not with him, but with their players and our players, and both teams, uh, as you can expect, would congregate at home plate. There was no throw, no punches thrown. Uh, but as the NCA rule reads, there are uh, suspensions 
that are supposed to take place for anybody that leaves their position or their or their dugout. And uh, through vi- video review, certainly there was a number of those on both sides. And uh, and honestly, as we talk right now, we're really kind of waiting for the conference to rule on what players and how many players that might receive that unsportsmanlike one-game suspension. There were two players at that time. It was thought to be Slade Wilkes, but after between games uh, on our side, the other the other gentleman was their catcher for Georgia Southern. But after video review between games, it was not Slade Wilkes. It was another one of our players. So Slade was actually able to to be reinstated back in the lineup for game two. So, you know, it's like I told the media after the game, Richard. I mean, these are 18 to 21, 22 maybe some 23 and 24s left from COVID, I guess. But, you know, these are still young men that, that they, they practice year-round. They prepare for games. They have energy. They have emotions. They're competitive. They don't want to lose. You know, you preach all the time about having your brother's back. Everything with that I, I have said, I don't condone fighting whatsoever. But I, And there were no punches thrown in this thing. But I would be concerned if – Somebody didn't come up there, you know, and and everything that we do. And I don't care whose team it is. You know, the last thing you want is any punches thrown. But nine times out of ten, exactly the scenario that happens, happened, happened. And uh, there was nothing. There was just, you know, talking back and forth, umpires and the coaches. We all got them separated and, and went our separate ways. Never had an incident prior to that in the series and never had another one the next game. As a matter of fact, in game three, they basically did the same thing we did to them in game two with two big home runs there in the top of the ninth. And everybody was fine. You know, both teams shook hands afterwards. So moving forward, I don't see anything down down the road between Southern Miss and Georgia Southern, but but respect for one another. Uh, you know, but it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the conference uh, determines on these suspensions. All right, so if you were to have any additional suspensions, would they be for your next conference game when you go to Troy on Friday night, or would those take place Tuesday night against Ole Miss? No, they would start tomorrow. Yeah, okay. they would start tomorrow. All right, yes. well, it's going to be interesting to see. You kind of addressed, and we'll leave it here. We've got to, only got about a minute left, but I, I, I got to think that to some degree you, you like seeing the fight and the fire from your team, right? I mean, when things haven't necessarily all gone the way you wanted them to be, to see that they're absolutely standing up for each other, that's got to kind of make you feel a little bit good. Well, I can tell you every coach that coaches at this level would say yes. It does, and and if they if they didn't say that, then they probably don't need to be coaching at this level. In all honesty, so you know we're all competitors. We all want to win, and that's what we prepare and train many many hours to do. And uh, certainly, you know, standing up for your your teammate is is a big part of that as well. Well said, Scott. Always appreciate your time. Busy week coming up with Ole Miss, and then a three game series at Troy. We'll talk to you next Monday. Appreciate you, Richard. Thank you. That's Scott Berry on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back after this. Communication system is a go. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly.
mentioned it in our conversation with Scott Berry just a moment ago. Friday night was a devastating night in the state of Mississippi for people in the South Delta, in uh, in and around Rolling Fork, and also in Northeast Mississippi in Amory, um, two communities that were damaged in a lot of ways, a, a lot of ways beyond repair. Uh, but also um, in the days and weeks ahead, many, many repairs will be happening. There is a story on our website at supertalk.fm that we would encourage you to check out if you need help in the wake of the tornadoes from Friday night or or if you are looking to help. Uh, on Sunday morning, Governor Reeves' request for individual and public assistance was approved by the White House, so residents can receive grants for temporary housing, home repairs, low-cost loans to cover uninsured property losses, and other programs as well. Residents in Carroll, Humphreys, Monroe, and Sharkey counties who sustained losses can apply for assistance by registering online at disasterassistance.gov. That's disasterassistance.gov or by calling 1-800-621-FEMA. F-E-M-A. That's 3362. one 800 um, Right now, the Mississippi Department of Public Safety, along with MEMA and the Department of Agriculture and Commerce, are accepting donations of bottled water, canned goods, and paper products in a number of locations across the state of Mississippi. Again, you can find this story online at supertalk.fm to find a, lo- a location near you. And then there are lots of private groups that are... Um, Offering assistance as well. Had a, uh, a close friend who spent almost the entire day yesterday in Amory uh, assisting with uh, with some of the cleanup efforts and uh, said it was, pictures don't do it justice. Devastating to see the damage in the community, but also, and this is kind of what we get, right, when, when you have one of these tragedies that, that happens, a natural disaster tragedy here in, in our home state or this region, um, you also see the best of people coming out almost immediately with neighbors helping neighbors, um, church groups, civic organizations, friends, family, all coming together uh, to do things like cut trees off of garages and houses and clear roadways. Uh, we do remind you, it feels like we're saying something that doesn't need to be said, but we'll say it nonetheless. If you are involved in cleanup efforts, whether it's, in the Delta or in Amory, uh, please be mindful, one, that you've got city and county workers and electric departments who are doing the work that they've got to do to try and restore power and clear roadways, so certainly give them the right-of-way. And if you're involved in cleanup, just be careful of down power lines and, and objects that you might not see in the process of cutting up a tree or dragging off brush, whatever it is uh, that is going on. So uh, for all of those who are involved in the, the cleanup and the rescue efforts, uh, we salute you. We thank you for that involvement. And for those who were affected by the uh, the tornadoes and the storms that came through on Friday night, um, our most heartfelt prayers are with you as you go through the rebuilding your life process. Uh, it is not easy to do. It is very, very difficult. And honestly, I mean, I don't know what it was like in Starkville or or in Jackson where you were, Borky, but we spent about 45 minutes under a a tornado warning with the sirens just going off just over and over and over in Oxford. And we're watching very closely, but we were fortunate. It was one of those storms capable of producing a tornado as opposed to a tornado that is on the ground and is tracking. 
and we were fortunate where we were in, in North Mississippi and Oxford, but not everybody was. So uh, we are continuing to think about you on this Monday and in the days going forward. So, Scott Berry, I think the most newsworthy thing that came out of that conversation a moment ago was that they are awaiting word from the Sundog Conference about potential suspensions going forward because of guys that left either their position or the bench area during the game on Saturday, game one of the doubleheader. And he said that those would take place immediately if they are enforced, which means... Southern Miss's game against Ole Miss on Tuesday night in Pearl could be affected from a personnel standpoint. That's newsworthy. Yeah, it sounds like he's expecting it too, doesn't it? It kind of it sounds like he's preparing to to get that news. I, I did like his emphasis, and I agree with him. He's like, no punches were thrown. Guys were just kind of yelling at each other, and. I understand the reason for the rule. You have it in basketball as well. You can't leave the bench and go on the floor. But if nobody was ejected and nobody threw a punch, should we really be suspending them? Is that really a just punishment for getting into a little bit of a shouting match on a baseball field? It just it seems kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's part of baseball. Yeah, they're they're trying to face fighting out of hockey, and and I get it. But part of baseball is a little bit of juice, where the teams kind of yell at each other a little bit. And as Scott said, the overwhelming majority of these just kind of end like that. Players yell at each other. They they puff their chests up, and they yell at each other, and the coaches and the umpires step in, and they go back to their dugouts, and the game has a little bit more spice for the rest of it, and that's all it is. And then afterwards, they shake hands, and it's all good. A bunch of college kids playing a game, and there there wasn't any violence. Why should they miss a game? Especially what could be an, an important game. Yeah. Forgive me, I'm just going to press pause there just for a second. If I didn't specifically mention the community where you live or you've got loved ones that live that were affected by the storms on Friday night, please forgive me. That That's an oversight. I was not trying to single out. Kind of the epicenter for most of the damage was um, was, was Rolling Fork and the, the areas around that and, and then Amory and Monroe County. But I've had a few people that have mentioned uh, Winona, Keith and Vaden was smart to, said, to say from Rolling Fork to Amory and all the communities in between. I understand that it was not isolated to just two communities. Please don't take that as a slight. It's not the way that it was intended. Um, we are we are mindful and prayerful for all of those in Mississippi and other areas that were affected by the storms on Friday night. Please don't take that as a slight. Not trying to leave anybody out. I'm not well actuallying anybody. Um, just want you to know we're thinking about all of you, regardless of of where you live. Um. I agree, Borky. I mean, like you need some juice in baseball, right? You, you need a little, you need a little zip. Hey, now one of the things that he said there at the end that, that stood out to me was, and and he didn't like stand up on a podium and beat his chest about this, but you could tell he was glad to see some fire from his baseball team. Yeah, I mean, when you, you've had a team, you know, they've had some tough losses this year. And you know you you want to see that 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 effort and that enthusiasm. And, you know you you let your let you know, hey, my guys are still locked in. They're still they're still you know, 
on the path with me here. So, yeah, I, I totally get where Scott Berry's coming from on that one. Mm-hmm. And the, so w- I get corrected on the text line. The, the guys that got ejected, if they get suspended, fine. If you did something to warrant ejection, okay. I'm talking about the, the possibility of a bunch of guys getting suspended for leaving their position. That's what I'm talking about. And Southern, get, Southern Miss was batting, so there were no positions to leave. So if you left You're talking about the dugout. leaving the dugout. And if they suspend everybody for a game that left the dugout... It's like the entire team almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's going to be an issue. Some some walk-ons might be taking at-bats tomorrow. <laughs> if, I mean, you might have some non-scholarship guys taking some infield uh, tomorrow at that rate. That's who I'm talking about. If you get ejected and you get suspended, that's your fault. I'm talking about the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So we'll see how that plays out because that's uh, that's tomorrow night at Pearl. Ole Miss and Southern Miss meeting for the second time. Rebels won the uh, the first meeting in Oxford. I think eleven to five was the uh, was the final in that game. So Southern Miss kind of gets right. I mean, we, we didn't really talk about that third game with Scotty. He, he mentioned that uh, that Southern Miss kind of gave up to Georgia Southern what Southern Miss did to Georgia Southern in the first game of the doubleheader, and that's a couple of late home runs. So. Golden Eagles get to three and three in the conference, and that's an okay place to be. It's not where you want to be, right? You'd like to be six and zero. You'd like to be five and one after two weekends, but after going on the road and losing a series to start league play, and then losing a midweek game on the heels of that, to come back and and get two against a you know conference opponent, that's a good weekend. For, for Southern Miss. And, and a weekend where it's disjointed, right? You play on Friday, but you got a delay in that Friday game, and then you play two nine-inning games on Sunday or Saturday because you're trying to avoid weather potential concerns on Sunday, and all of the things rolled into that. Getting two is a good weekend, and in a lot of ways kind of settles things and maybe gets this Southern Miss team back on track a little bit. And I would think encouraging to see the offense come to life a little bit as well, which Scott said he was pleased about when we talked to him just a bit ago. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Monday afternoon on the heels of a baseball weekend where in Starkville and Oxford there is a lot of frustration that is uh, is going on right now. 4 o'clock hour, we'll start things off with winners and losers. We're going to wrap up the 3 o'clock hour with you when we come back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. To the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can join us on the C Spire text line at 
888-900-4395. Somebody asked a question. We were talking about Paul Skeens earlier at LSU. You may remember that he was at the Air Force Academy for his first two years of college baseball um, and was good. And he elected to leave the Air Force Academy and transfer to LSU. And the question was, how can he do that? You guys may have a different understanding. My understanding is that first or second year academy, uh, I'll call them undergrads, um, cadets, can leave without penalty after your second year at the academy, whether you're talking about Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, or West Point, after the second year, your sophomore year, there's pretty significant financial penalty. I think you've got to pay back for your education. And I guess that's because that's when the money really starts rolling in in terms of cost for training and what they are teaching you and going about. But you can leave without penalty in the first or second year following an appointment and transfer. So worked out for Paul Skeens. And if there was a financial penalty for him to leave the Air Force Academy early, uh, he may have done a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis and decided that it was going to be a worthwhile financial penalty based on where he is likely to be drafted after this season at LSU. He has a uh, he's got a big league future in front of him. If you've not watched him throw the baseball, it's it's special. Special. We'll get a couple of really good looks at him. Yeah, we will. LSU is on the schedule for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State in the uh, in the coming weeks. Yay! Hey, Dad, I feel like you're smiling through it right now. Could you tell? Is that is that the um, is that the best way to describe it? Well, I mean, what am I going to say? You know, what do, I mean, this is an embarrassment. There, there's no getting around that. You know, and. This is not Mississippi State baseball. Uh, you know, Borky tweeted that clip of me saying that on Friday's show. Well, it, it holds even more true today. You know, Mississippi State just gave up 55 runs in, in in three games to a team that was hitting 267 overall when they came to Starkville. They gave up one guy had two grand slams in one game. They were run ruled. They were doubled over run ruled on Friday. They would have been run ruled on Saturday if it you know hadn't the, the finals. Splash came in the ninth inning. And then, you know, they, they still give up double-digit runs and a loss, albeit a closer one on Sunday. They can't pitch. They can't field. They can't hit with runners on base. They're just not good in any facet of the game right now at all. So, yeah, I might as well have a smile because there certainly doesn't appear to be any any kind of hope on the horizon for a turnaround. I know the question that doesn't really have an answer is frustrating. But the question is why? Right? What what why is this unfolding the way it's unfolding? To me the biggest thing is the 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 recruiting classes, the first couple of recruiting classes for Lamonis after he got here, the 20 and 21 classes there's just so many misses in there. 
there's just so many, uh, especially from a pitching standpoint. I mean, right now, I mean, they didn't, you know, I think Sinjay and, and Lofton long-term can be SEC pitchers. But that means there's two previous classes, because Kate Smith was not in this, that class, that, that you, you, you recruited two classes and didn't get one single SEC pitcher. Not one. That can start a game for you and give you five innings, six innings, and take you into the sixth or seventh inning with a lead. You, you don't have that guy. And that's a lot of whiffs. A lot. And the, the best players on this team are, are the guys that, you know, Hines is obviously very good, but Hancock and Clark were on the, the, the College World Series team. They're veterans. That, you know, where are some of the new the newer faces? you got some, some transfer portal guys, but... There's just not a lot. There's just not any answers. I certainly don't have them, and Chris Lamona said he didn't have them either on on, yeah. on when we talked to him this weekend. Yeah, and you know, there were transfer guys a year ago that were impact players. I mean, R.J. Yeager was a really good player for for Mississippi State last season, and he was a transfer mm-hmm. guy, but turned out to be a, a one year thing. Um, you know, you're you're trying to bring guys in that one one that they're good enough to play and play well at this level, and two they've got to all gel together and, and play together. We uh, we are scheduled to visit with Chris Lamonis uh, about 20 minutes from right now. Look forward to that conversation. And uh, we'll talk with Mike Bianco in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Winners and losers, that's how we will begin the 4 o'clock hour when we come back. Every time I look around, it's in my face. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Here, Sports Talk Mississippi. You like this show, huh? Yeah! Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Four o'clock hour on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday, the 27th of March. March going by in a hurry as we roll into the spring alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad. I'm Richard Cross. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort. Tons going on. Go to PearlRiverResort.com and you can see the full list of upcoming activities. We uh, told you when we were there a week or so ago that um, uh, there's some things that dates have not been announced yet, including, um, oh, Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy is uh, is coming. That's and Fluffy. Fluffy coming as well. Genuine, by the way, is now sold out for the, uh, the April yeah. 15th show. At Pearl River Resort, Sawyer Brown will be there on May 27th. Tickets still available for that event. So uh, be sure to uh, check them out, uh, pearlriverresort.com. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. It is time for Winners and Losers. All I, all I, all I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. 
an off-the-wall, uh, well, I'll hold off on a loser. Let, let's start this on a uh, on a more upbeat note. How about a winner to start things off? The FAU Owls. FAU is in the Final Four. Florida Atlantic University is in the NCAA Basketball Men's Final Four, one of just four remaining teams in college basketball. And you know what? They didn't back their way in. They didn't fluff their way in. They have been really impressive as they have made their way through the NCAA tournament with a win over Memphis by one, a win over Fairleigh Dickinson by eight, a win by seven over Tennessee, and then a three-point win over Kansas State to set up a Final Four matchup with San Diego State. One of the two of Florida Atlantic and San Diego State will play for a national championship one week from tonight in college basketball. Yeah, Memphis, Tennessee, and Kansas State is not a cheap run like some people are trying to categorize that as. That That is lining up and beating teams that yeah. have bigger budgets and better players than you. I read a story uh, about Dusty May earlier today, and he said he took the job at Florida Atlantic sight unseen. After he signed the contract and toured the facilities, he said he almost cried because he thought he... He said, I, I committed career suicide. I will never win here. And this is my shot at being a head coach and the facilities and the situation so bad that I'm not going to win. That's what he thought when he took that job. And now he has them in the Final Four. And probably will be able to punch his ticket. I don't know that the right job is going to be available for him this year, and I'm not trying to rip the guy out of Boca. I'm sure it's a lovely place to live. But the idea of recreating what they have created this year is probably pretty hard to do. One other winner, by the way, how about UConn men's basketball? They won the national championship in 2014 under Kevin Ollie, and then it kind of went the other way for them, and they fired Kelly Ollie, uh, Kevin Ollie following the 2018 season, and then they tried not to pay him. And they got slapped down by the courts, and Dan Hurley took the job in 2019, and he won 16 games his first year, and then 19, and then 15 in a COVID year, and then 23, and now UConn. I mean, of the four teams that are in the tournament, left. UConn has been playing the best, and it's not even close. And they've got a date with Miami coming up to try and get back to a national championship game. You're talking about a team that's won two titles since 2011. It's... um, it's impressive what they have done. So FAU and UConn winners, what about you guys? How about a winner? Well, you just took half the winners, so Borky, you'll get the one that I leave behind here. I'll go with San Diego State, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a program that has been uh, really good over the last decade. We mentioned that's where Kawhi Leonard played. They had a team a few years back that was 30-2 and two, but didn't make it this far. Uh, so they've sort of been building this, kind of like a Gonzaga light out there on, on the West Coast. Consistent, good. Uh, they just haven't had the big moments that Gonzaga has had, and now now they're finally going to get to enjoy one with the Final Four. And they are a team that I think can really bother 
uh, uh, UConn. So we're, we'll see where, where that goes. But I, it's, a, it's a good program. They've had good players through the years. Good to see them finally make it to the top here. You know what's crazy? Going back to UConn, if they were to win it all this year, this will be their fifth title since 1999. Yeah. That's as good as about anybody, I would imagine. Yeah. Better than. It's more than Kentucky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, that's I mean, just thinking about blue blood programs. It's more than Kentucky, it's more than UCLA. Uh,. It's probably, I mean, I'd have to go look, but I mean, it's probably right there with Duke and North Carolina and Kansas. What you got, Borky? Yeah, mine was going to be uh, the entire Final Four. The, the discourse has already begun, and it's, oh, there's no brands in it. Why aren't there any brands? It's not interesting because there's no big brands. Number one, as you mentioned, UConn is a gigantic bas- college basketball brand. It is huge. Miami, weren't they an Elite Eight team last year, by the way? But Miami, while not being known as a basketball school per se, the U is a gigantic college sports brand. So that's a little bit goofy just in and of itself. But why is it that we need FAU to be FSU to enjoy the team and the run that they've made? I love living in a world where Florida Atlantic can be one of the four teams remaining in the championship tournament. Is it the best way to pick a champion? Probably not. But I love the fact that we don't have a one or a two seed in the Final Four. I love that Florida Atlantic can be in this position realistically and get there. And they slayed a handful of Giants to get there as well. This hand-wringing over, oh, well, the ratings aren't going to be very good. Who cares? Who cares if the CBS executives make a million fewer dollars? Why do you care? FAU's fun. San Diego State is so long in athletic. Miami's coach is proving that age is just a number. 73 years young, and he is still sharp and coaching great basketball. UConn's dominant. I mean, they are just dominant right now. What about these four teams is not fun and interesting? I don't understand the discourse. I'm excited to watch the games. I'm glad we live in a world where Florida Atlantic can do something special as opposed to football, where if you are not one of six teams, you have no shot at even being a part of it, let alone actually winning the thing. Uh, Yeah, I will say I like brands in the Final Four. Like, the 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 TV numbers will be down. Who cares? I'm with you. Who cares? Right? Not, not your money doesn't matter. Are you excited about watching FAU against San Diego State, or would you yeah. rather be or 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 would you rather be watching North Carolina UCLA in the Final Four? It just doesn't impact my viewership at all. I'm going to watch the Final Four. It, it doesn't yeah. matter. It, it just. And not everybody's this way, and I, I certainly understand that. It's just from from my perspective to each their own. But for me, it's I'm going to watch the Final Four. It's the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm going to watch it. I don't care if it's North Carolina or North Carolina Central. By the way, since 1999, nobody has won more Final Fours, has won more national championships than UConn. They got four. There you go. Carolina's got three, Duke's got three, Kansas has got two, Villanova's got two, Florida's got two, 
And you got some one-offs that are in there as well. Yeah, but there's no it's brands or something. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. absent brands in the Final Four. Yeah. I still don't know if I feel like UConn rings quite the same as Kansas, Duke, North Carolina. Hey, Based on what doesn't. you just said, it but should. It should. No, it I'm, doesn't. Yes. But it's because of football. They like they don't have football. You got to have both to like mm. get that real cachet. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, quick loser before we go to a break. Um, this is a, uh, a a guy that you probably have never heard of before, nor should you. Uh, Randy Rosenberg. Today in a spring training game, the penultimate. <laughs> Grapefruit League spring training game for the Philadelphia Phillies. JT Realmuto just back from the World Baseball Classic catching, and he puts his hand back, waiting on the umpire to hand him a ball. And he doesn't get one, so he just turns his glove down as the umpire's handing it to him. Drops to the ground. Umpire thinks he's showing him up. Boom! You're out of here! And Realmuto just turns around and looks at him. Like, What? What? Up show. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks, as always, for being with us. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do so on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Chris Lamonis joins us, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Coach, as always, uh, appreciate your time on a Monday uh, especially after a difficult weekend, and, and I don't know how else exactly to couch this, but a, a, a difficult weekend is you've had a day to process it and get back with your team and get back to practice. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on kind of how it went and where you go from here? Well, it went bad, so that's an easy one. Um, <laughs> okay. And we got to get better. Like, uh, we've, we've been working all day, talking all day, figuring, trying to figure it out, making some adjustments, maybe changing rotation around a little bit, and – uh we gotta get better. That's that's really what it comes down to. There's no time to feel sorry. How is your team responding right now? Because obviously they're going through it a, a, alongside you, and it's discouraging and disappointing. Do, do you see kind of the like the fight and the frustration and all the things that you need from them to try and kind of weather the storm? If that maybe the is the right, right way to describe it. Yeah, I see the fight and the frustration. There's 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 frustration. There's expectation. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is a prideful program, prideful fan base. And, uh, you know, when you're not playing well, it's not good. You know, obviously it's not good anywhere, but it's harder here. And, uh, they're frustrated. They're pissed and they're, you know, in this world, you know, we gotta, we just, we have to play better. And, and in my world, you, you know, after a really tough loss on a Friday night, getting them motivated to go back the next day, go back the next day. You know, that, that's the fight we're in right now. And uh, they're still fighting. I give them a lot of credit. They fought to the end of the Vanderbilt game yesterday. And, um, you know, we're going to have to fight and come out and be ready to go tomorrow. Coach, we asked you a lot of questions in the press conferences this weekend. And, and uh, you know, the sort of a theme was, that's on me. I've got to figure it out. That was your answer for a lot of, of those things. Where do you start? What's the first thing that needs to be figured out at this point? We have to figure out our pitching staff. 
by far. I mean, we're, we got to figure out a little bit defensively, but we have to figure out our pitching staff. We have performed at a really low level. I know we've had some injuries and we've had some things there, but the kids that we're pitching are better than what they're pitching right now. And that goes on the staff of trying to figure it out. So we're watching a lot of game film, analytics, trying to figure out the best pieces. Um, there's just not a consistency in there. It makes it tough. Um, you know, coaching a bullpen or making calls out of the bullpen are tough when you don't know what you're going to get. Um, consistent performance is what we're looking for. And, and trying to figure out, you know, why we're giving up hits at this rate and, and runs at this rate. Do you feel like it's a game plan issue or is it an execution issue? Do you, do you feel confident in, in, in what you're, you're teaching the kids or, or is it just when they get, down on their, get out there on the mound, something's not clicking for them? Yeah, it's, it's probably a little bit more execution. You know, um, it's, it's hard to get hit at a 400-something rate if you're putting balls in good spots. It doesn't matter what you call it. You know, if you make a fastball low and away and it's low and away, just hard to hit. Problem is we're hitting, you know, the middle of the plate too much. And then on the flip side, when you're behind in counts, that's when the highest batting averages are. So we have to learn to control counts. We have to, we have to make better pitches in those counts. Chris, I've always heard people talk about hitting as, as being contagious. You see a guy get a big knock and, you know, it just kind of trickles on down the order. Can, can that be the inverse on the pitching side of things? And I know you would, you, you would like for it not to be, but does a guy on the staff see somebody else struggling and then maybe put too much pressure on and it causes them to press? Does that make sense? Well, we have a lot of that going on right now. Like it's, uh, my first coach I worked for, Good old redneck guy. He called it the lead duck. If you throw out a lead duck on Friday night, and then all the other ducks will follow, right? And right now we're just <clears throat> we don't have a lot of consistency there, so it's it's putting pressure on everybody else. When you have a great Friday night guy, and Ethan Small, it's amazing how well everybody else pitches because they just see that guy go out there and have success. And so <clears throat> our inconsistency, and we have some good guys. I mean, Gerangelo Siente, he's pitched great all year, had a tough outing. You know, I. I you know, we've had some guys go out there and be good. It's just, you know, and then we've had some injuries. So, and, and I'm not blaming it on injuries, but what it does, the injury puts guys in different roles. And so they've probably not a great job of uh, adjusting to that new role. I was going to ask you about Gerangelo. Is that why, not not you, but just coaches in general are so hesitant, even if they've got a super talented guy, to run a freshman out there for game one of a weekend series because you just can't replicate the experience? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I think you see it with young guys in our league. You know, we got caught in a rotation piece where a guy came out and he fit into that piece, and it's hard to catch him back up, right? as you're going through weeks trying to catch a guy back up and get him pushed back in the weekend and somebody else up. And then the next two weeks for us were Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that's probably if, – if I had my choice, I wouldn't want him on Friday night. But it's I think after week three or something, we had to bring him into the weekend, and, and that's kind of what happened. So um, it just gets hard to, to move guys and move a guy up two days or back. You can do it one day every once in a while, but you start moving more in a day, it gets tough on on the arms. Last week when you visited with us, we, we talked a little bit about Bradley Lofton, another another talented freshman. And you, know, you said some, I think you said something along the lines of your plan was for him to pitch last week in the midweek and then try to get him into the the weekend uh, this weekend. Is that still the plan? Is he pitching for you tomorrow, or or will he be part of your weekend plans? 
So he's not pitching tomorrow, so and we're just trying to figure out where he fits into the weekend plan. So, but yeah, he he is not throwing on tomorrow. So, uh, you know, maybe hopefully help us on on the weekend against South Carolina. Who are you starting to uh, tomorrow? We are starting Evan Sierra and about eight other guys. So, <laughs> well, well, one of those days. Got it. Hey, yeah. you, you mentioned the the Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. You you go back to a Thursday this week. Um. How, how difficult is that in terms of balancing week to week? Your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or is it just that one day doesn't make that much difference? No, a day makes a difference. I mean, I learned that my first year. You know, my first year, I think we had like four of them, and we yo-yoed Ethan Small back and forth, you know, week to week. And, and I, I thought it wore on him as the year went on. Um, you know, it's tough. I mean, like this week is Easter, and so, you know, most of the schools around the league – you know, play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The lucky part for us is we play the next week in Tuscaloosa where the TV game, the Thursday night TV game. So at least we stay. I don't mind Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I just like the fact that, you know, we don't have to change weeks. Uh, we get the same rest the next week. And then when you come back the following week, you get an extra day, you know, and then you can maybe shuffle around some things and make some things work that way. But um, it's not easy. But, you know, I mean, how do you turn down the TV exposure we get in this league? Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's what's grown our game. That's why we have these stadiums. That's why we're paid what we are. The things that we get is because of ESPN and the wonderful job they do. So, and, and that Thursday night game, man, everybody in the country that likes college baseball is watching. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, you, you give a little and you get a lot more. And, and then, Chris, last thing for you as we look toward this weekend, obviously you got Sanford tomorrow night, but you, you look at a team like South Carolina, and I mean, this is a crazy thing about the league, right? I mean, they – necessarily weren't picked toward the top of the division going into the year, and you look up six games in and they're sitting 6-0 and and lead the country in uh, in home runs, it's not like it gets any easier. No, it isn't. And we, we have, uh, one, when you pick the SEC to coach in, play in, whatever, you know you're going to play against the best. Um, and we've just had a, we've had a run of really good, not, not, not just really good teams. I feel like, you know, the teams we're playing right now, they just, they're all coming in hot. You know, Vanderbilt was hot. They were good. They played really good. I give them credit. We don't. We didn't match them. That's our. That's our fault. You know. But, you know, we had Kentucky the first weekend. They were. They're playing really good baseball too. You know. So, um, and before we got there, but you look around our league. There's just not a lot of bad. So you look up at these schedules and the teams you play, and you, you have to. You know, the problem is, is we're supposed to be hot and the best. So that's our responsibility. That's my responsibility. So we got to get there. You're always generous with your time. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That's Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. And, hey, Dad, the, the truth of it is, if you are a Mississippi State fan right now and you hear Chris Lamonis answer questions, there's probably nothing he can say that's not going to frustrate you. Everything that comes out right. of his mouth is going to be frustrating to you. He didn't shy away from anything we threw at him there. No, I, I mean, he, he answered our questions. And, and and you're right, though. It's like fans, sort of the same way they want us to ask, Coach, why do you suck? They want him to just say, gosh, we suck, and it's all my fault, and I'll pack my bags and be out of here tomorrow. That's what fans want to hear when coaches are losing. There's no satisfying them. So I thought I thought our questions were, were honest and straightforward, and I thought his answers were too. And and the flip side of that is is I mean 
even if it's bad, you want a coach that's trying to figure it out and is fighting. Yeah. And you doesn't throw you his hands up that. in the air and say, "I don't know." Yeah, yeah. All right, that's Chris Lamonis on the Farm Bureau guest line. Appreciate his time as always. Mike Bianco will join us in the five o'clock hour. We'll talk with him about Ole Miss baseball. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll pick winners and losers up with yours when we come back. On Super Talk Mississippi. Like the legend of the Phoenix, all ends with beginnings. So going back to winners and losers from the weekend, we talked about some winners. We've got some losers to get to as well, and we would love to get yours on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. What did you like from the weekend? What did you not like from the weekend? Let's check it out. So what about you guys? You got a? Uh, were there any other winners, or do we need to go to the loser side of things? Not much winning happened around here. Not a lot. That is that is a true statement. So all right, so so losers. Go ahead, hey Dad. You look like you're ready to go. It, like it, it appears there's well, if there's some low hanging fruit available to you. I mean, they're sure. I mean, it, it, you know, it's 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 for both of us. You know, misery certainly loves company, Richard, and a lot of that here in the state of Mississippi right now with baseball. It's it's really hard to believe that State and Ole Miss are. Are both zero and six? I think it's the, I think I read something that's the first time it's ever happened uh, in the however long they, these two schools have been playing baseball that both teams have started off zero and six. I went back and looked. State was three and three through through six conference games a year ago. I mean that's hmm. that sort of tells you the, the difference there. Um, State's the worst pitching team in the conference. Ole Miss is the worst hitting team in the conference. So I can't wait to watch that matchup between the movable object and the resistible force. So we'll an SEC, an SEC play only, right? Yes, SEC play only. Ole Miss hitting 199, which is incredibly bad, and State's ERA is over 14, which doesn't seem physically possible, and yet that's exactly uh, what it is. So just just not fun, you know, for the last two defending national champions. I did see a funny tweet, Richard. I hope this makes you laugh, but somebody said on Twitter said, State's, uh, State's deal with the devil was to win a national title. Ole Miss's deal with the devil was to be like State. Jeez. I saw a lot of references to uh, the intersection of 61 and 49 this weekend. <laughs> there has there, been some there, deals transacted between there, there this world a, and the next over the last two years. A, a lot of a lot of Robert Johnson reference, um, you know, uh, over the, the last couple yeah. of days on the uh, on the Twitters. Um, you know, the thing is, and Borky, Borky pointed this out earlier. You know, in the, the first two games or against Florida, I mean, almost scored seven runs and eight runs. I thought they swung it pretty well. Really? I mean, well. I, know, I know the overall batting average is 199 in, in six league games. A little bit better than that this weekend. They were brutal in their approach against, uh, against Vanderbilt last weekend. You know, 
Jacob Gonzalez in the first game, the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday with Brandon Sprode on the mound, hit two balls as hard as you can possibly hit them at the ankles of Jack Caglione at first base, and he made the play both times. I'm like, what are you going to do with that? Guys, I mean, vacuum. It, it, at least one of those two gets through. That guy is so good. So good. The best two-way player in the SEC since... Oh, Head? I mean, you, you got a legit case there, yeah. I mean, who who are the other, like, legitimate two-way players that we've seen in the SEC? I mean, I can think of two really good two-way players in college baseball in the last 20 years, other than Stephen Head. All right. The kid at Louisville a couple of years ago, the first baseman slash yeah. left-handed pitcher, Brendan McKay, who hit, he was first-team All-American multiple times. Yeah. Micah Owings at Tulane. They played in a regional in Oxford, maybe the first regional that Ole Miss hosted. I think it was Ole Miss, Western Kentucky, Tulane, and Washington. And you had Micah Owings on that team for Tulane, and you had um, oh, the pitcher for Washington that went on to be with the uh, the San Francisco Giants. Long brown hair. Hard throwing, short, Lincecum? skinny. Tim Lincecum, pitch for Washington on yeah. that regional team, and that would have been like oh. Mangum threw a few innings. Can we can we count him? We cannot. No, no. All right, because he wasn't that good as a two way player. He was yeah. great yeah. as a one way player. State's example, state his example would be Pete Young would be the best one. But. Okay, okay. But you're talking about 1988 there. Yeah. Todd Helton at, at Tennessee Did Helton pitch. He was a two-way player that he played football and baseball. He didn't play. Oh, two-sport, not two-way. Uh, he was, he was first sports. base. Yeah. 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 Mike in Oxford asked if Skeens is catching it all. No, he's not. He is not. He's not, no. Which is interesting because, you know, it's it's been widely reported that State was the number two school there. They finished second in that. And I wonder if he had come to State, would he have caught a little bit with the way State is behind the plate? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, Borky, did you have a loser? Yeah, the National Basketball Association. Uh, and, and here's why I say that. the Both the men's and the women's NCAA tournament have done phenomenally in terms of viewership. There is a thirst for basketball in this country, and it is growing. I think the women are up like 27%. The men's tournament's less than that, but still up. I mean, the numbers are huge, and they are bigger, and people love it. Regular season numbers were up and very, very good, despite, you know, Duke got hot late, but North Carolina wasn't particularly good. The ACC's really down. Honestly, Syracuse stunk. I mean, college basketball, the brands in college basketball haven't exactly been particularly good this year, and yet people watched. Even before the tournament, the numbers were good. Not so much for the NBA. Nobody's watching. The numbers are down, again. Um... Not anywhere close, honestly. So why? People that follow Clay Travis will immediately say, well, woke politics. Well, I I think it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, Adam Silver's like the greatest commissioner of all time or whatever, sure. 
but he has openly endorsed load management. You have healthy players sitting out games just for the heck of it. You've got teams that are shutting down healthy players just so they can lose games on purpose to to draft well. So you've got load management, you've got tanking, you've got healthy players sitting, you've got guys like Draymond Green openly saying games in March don't matter. We lost, who cares? It's March, nobody cares. And then you have this thing with Luka. The selective enforcement of rules is a joke. Luka got his 16th technical. And the league reviewed it and rescinded it despite him deserving it. Why did they do that? Because Dallas is kind of free-falling and they want Dallas to make the playoffs. If that was Herb Jones, who by the way recently got a technical on a much softer thing and didn't get his rescinded, and not Luka, wouldn't have got it pulled back. The league protects certain players. They officiate certain players differently. They selectively enforce their rules. They endorse players not playing or caring at all and tell you the regular season doesn't matter. And then they wonder, why does nobody care? Because you're telling them they shouldn't care and you are protecting only a small minority of your entire roster of players. The league is poorly run at this point and... College basketball's numbers tell you that there's a thirst for basketball and you're doing it wrong. So, I watch it. I still will because of my allegiances. But they need to take a good hard look in the mirror because they are free-falling in terms of national interest and attention. And it starts at the top. Michael Borky going NBA as a loser. They they are. I mean, it's obvious. But, but... I am playing for my fantasy NBA championship this week. So. Hey, there you go. Good for me. Winner. Mm. Hey, a couple of uh, submissions for best two-way players of recent years. Will and Eupora, who uh, lives and works at East Carolina and listens regularly. Zach Agnos last year for East Carolina. He was really good. Shortstop, who would get called into the mound in mid-inning. They'd give him a different glove, and he'd go to work on the mound. Uh, Danny... Hutzler. Hutzler? Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, sure. No, no. Danny Holson at Virginia. That super regional team that uh, that came to Oxford, played first base, and I think he was a left-handed pitcher as well. Uh, Hey, Dad, somebody said that um, you go back to Pete Young, but you don't include Bobby Thigpen. How dare you? This is Mitch Moreland was Ron Polk's closer. That's true. That's a miss by me, yeah. Uh, some argue John Olerud is the greatest two-way player in college baseball history. And how about this, hey, Dad? Our memories tested poorly. Todd Helton finished his junior season in 1995, finished his collegiate career owning the SEC record for consecutive scoreless innings pitched at 47 and two-thirds while also hitting 407, leading the SEC in home runs with 20, RBI with 92, runs with 86, doubles with 27, hits with 105, walks with 61, slugging at 775, and on-base percentage at 522. Not to mention going 8-2 and two with 12 saves and a 166 ERA. Yeah, I'd call that a two-way player. It was pretty darn good. Yeah. Todd Helton at Tennessee. Sports Talk Mississippi will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you coming up next. 
1-888-867-1893. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. We'll start the college football fix in the 5 o'clock hour when we come back with you. You want to be part of the conversation, you can join us on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Let me grab a, a few of your losers here. Loser, my U.K. fan base, well, some of us anyway, for tweets like this. Uh, that's uh, folks speaking poorly online to Savir Wheeler after his announcement that uh, he is leaving the University of Kentucky. Nikki Amantashi sends us uh, sends that to us, and whew, some tough messages that people actually have their names attached to. So, e. Uh, Rusty, loser, March Madness officiating, especially the women's game, very inconsistent, sometimes seems to favor the team that is expected to win. Tell me this, though. So we haven't talked about this, obviously, because baseball's the, the pressing story here, but he mentioned March Madness and officiating. I understand when people, you know, it was inconsistent all game, it was inconsistent all game. That was a foul that led to the free throws that won the San Diego State-Creighton game. You cannot have your hand on a guy's hip, which affected his ability to jump when he's taking a shot. When he beats you, you've got to let him go. You cannot put your hand like right right around his hip, who had a full mm-hmm. grip on his hip. That is a foul. I, the, the people are like, you can't blow the whistle there. It, it affected his shot. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a foul. A foul. You, you, you can't argue that that wasn't a foul there. It was. And the inconsistency is not because of some grand plan of we'll call it one way, one part of the game, and another way. It's, it's because the officials are inconsistent. Hey, Dad would probably use a different way to describe them, but they are inconsistent. I would. Not, it's yeah. not intentional. They're just inconsistent. No. Uh, winner, Pike County, with a native son still in the NCAA tournament on FAU's team. That's from Adam in Monticello. Uh, winner, Jack Caglione. Yeah. How about try SEC Players of the Week. So you get the uh, the SEC awards today, and sometimes they'll be like, uh, oh, come on, man, the whole co, you know, more than you know, three players of the week, come on. I don't really know how you were going to sort out these three. Um, Dylan Cruz from LSU, Jack Caglione from Florida. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you saw that up close and personal this weekend. And, uh, oh, who was the other? I thought I had it pulled Parker up right Nolan. there. Oh, yeah. Parker, Parker Nolan, Nolan from Vanderbilt. So if you're a Mississippi State fan, you saw plenty of him. And then also the uh, SEC Pitcher of the Week was Noah Hall from South Carolina. He was really good once again this week. And um, and not the... really a loser, but... but uh, Ethan Petrie was... Mizzou a... going from... 
Mizzou going from sweeping Tennessee to getting swept by South Carolina. That was quite the uh, the, the the stretch for them. Carolina's good. And those were close games. They are. They? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they walked off on on Friday. You know, they mm-hmm. had uh, uh, Mizzou had the lead in the bottom of the ninth. Couldn't that was an off. error too on the the game winning winning run. Yeah. I think they're going to give people problems. If if you're a baseball fan that had Missouri on your schedule and you thought, yeah, yeah, that's a series win, I don't, I'm not convinced. Yeah, Ole Miss got to go to Missouri this year. That's not going to be easy. No, mm-hmm. not at all. It'll be tough. And remember, Missouri is part of that stretch when Ole Miss absolutely had to win games at the end of the year last year. Yeah. They swept them in Oxford. Um, I, looking forward to our conversation with Mike Bianco because there's no question his team lost all three games this weekend. And you are what your record says you are. They are 0-6 in the SEC. But I wonder if Mike looks at this past weekend – and if he can look at it and go, yeah, we lost three, but we're not that far off. That may not be the way he looks at it at all. Um, we'll ask him about that coming up in about uh, about 20 minutes when we continue with you. College Football Fix is how we will begin the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you on this Monday, Sports Talk Mississippi. Brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. Visit them online at mtradepark.com to find uh, out about one of the best recreational sports facilities in the entire state of Mississippi. 14 turf infield fields. They have all natural grass outfields. The soccer fields are in absolute pristine condition. They got that place in ship-shape state of competition following the uh, the storms on Friday night. They're ready to go with tournaments on Saturday. If you're involved in scheduling for your son or daughter's team, whether it's baseball, fast pitch, or soccer, be sure to check them out online at mtradepark.com. Click on the events tab to see about the upcoming tournaments. If you're going to play, play mtrade, mtradepark.com. We will be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team with live reports from games and practices, plus exclusive interviews. Weekday afternoons starting at 3 on supertalk.fm, the Supertalk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. If you're watching on supertalk TV, no, I, I don't have a shiner below my right eye there. That's a uh, nice little patch of poison ivy, hey, Dad? But my first I've been wondering the, the whole show. I'm, I meant to send you a text like, did somebody punch you? Because I will come up to Oxford and I'll take them out. No, you just touch whoever it? did it. I mean, why not? Because you touch, touch it with your else. fingers, and then you touch other stuff or other parts of your yeah, body, and you—it's been there a few days. But I don't—I don't think that's 
think there's a little bit of myth to that. The whole, like, you, you pinch one and the gel comes out of it and you touch it and that automatically spreads at other places. I think that's like a wives' tale. I don't know. Whatever. I get it once or twice a year. I, I got anyway, up and down the arm and the uh, elbow there. Got it on this arm a little bit. A little bit on my legs, face. It's, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Hey, Dad, you're going to tell me how I can avoid that, aren't you? Just Don't work in the yard, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't work in the yard to avoid the uh, the poison. You know who who does have a shiner? Francis. Yeah. So she was she was going hard on the playground at Swayze on uh, on Saturday during the uh, first game of the doubleheader. She comes back and she's like, "I hit my my eye," and we're like, "Oh, geez, did somebody hit you?" No. What happened? It's on the slide. Oh, did you fall off? No. What happened? I jumped off. Okay. <laughs> there you go. She's fine. So, she'll be all right. She's going to be uh, just fine. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort studio. Pearl River Resort, home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Just about finished with the renovations to the Azalea course. Going to have the Oaks and the Azaleas open. Great time to play golf. Spring at Dancing Rabbit is unlike any other time with the azaleas in bloom. You don't want to miss it. DancingRabbitGolf.com, that's where you go to make your tee time or to book your trip. That's DancingRabbitGolf.com. College football fix right now. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Truck month is winding down. Be sure to check out the F-150. F-Series is America's best-selling truck for 46 straight years. Or get behind the wheel of a new Super Duty. Or if you're looking for a pickup, try the Maverick or the Ranger all at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We pose a question to you, and I pose a question to the two of you as well. We talked schedules on Thursday a lot last week. When you look at Ole Miss and Mississippi State's football schedule, whose is more difficult in 2023? So we'll give you a couple of things here to help you process that. Non-conference. Ole Miss's non-conference games, Mercer, Tulane on the road, Georgia Tech at home, and ULM in Week 11. Rebels crossover opponents, Vanderbilt is the, uh, is the permanent, and they go to Georgia. Mississippi State's non-conference foes. Southeastern Louisiana Week 1, Arizona Week 2, Western Michigan in Week 6, Southern Miss in Week 11. Their crossover opponents in the East, Kentucky as always, and this year they go to South Carolina. Which schedule is more difficult? I mean, it's just not really close to this Ole Miss. They have the toughest... Non-conference game, the trip to Tulane, in my opinion, is the toughest non-conference game on either schedule. And the fact that you have to play Alabama and Georgia, I mean, that's just that's just brutal. State had to do it last year. Uh, that's zero and two, and so yeah, that makes it that makes it Ole Miss, in my opinion. Any hesitation there for you, Borky? I can make an argument. Uh, so if we if break it down this way. Uh, Games in which the team will be significant favorites, two scores or more. I think Ole Miss has five and Mississippi State has four, the non-conference games. I think Ole Miss will be a multi-score favorite against Vanderbilt because that's kind of how it works. 
Although, don't sleep on Clark Lee's doors. However, at home, Ole Miss will be a significant favorite there. And then you look at it the other way, and, and Haydad's correct. Ole Miss has to play Georgia State, does not. Wait, so, you think Ole Miss is a double-digit favorite in all four of their non-conference games? Yes. Including, including at Tulane in Week yes. 2. Did you Have you seen what they lost? They lost a lot off of that they team. Did. It was a very good team, but they lost a lot. Uh, off of that team. I bet they'll be a double-digit favorite there. I, okay. I, I'd be shocked if they're not. Um, All right. So so Ole Miss has the, the road games at Alabama and at Georgia. They will be significant underdogs in those games. I think Mississippi State has uh, the one game in which they will be a significant underdog, and that's the, the game at Alabama. So that's a positive in State's category. Where I think Ole Miss has the advantage here, aside from getting to play Vanderbilt, is where the games are located. You've got the toss-up games for Ole Miss at home. You've got Texas A&M at home. You've got Arkansas at home. Mississippi State has to go to South Carolina. That's a tough place to play. But you would think that that's that's a toss-up game, similar rosters, stuff like that. But you've got to go there. You've got to go to Texas A&M. One of your home games is Alabama. I think where the games are played skews it possibly in Ole Miss's favor when you're comparing the schedules because it's at home with A&M, where a state has to go play in front of 100,000 people. It's home with Vanderbilt, where a state has to go and play in front of those insane fans. That is a a check in the Ole Miss column versus state, who they're getting to play, where they play them, as opposed to states a little bit different. See, Vanderbilt and Kentucky being the permanence, I would say State and getting Kentucky at home, almost getting Vanderbilt. I mean, Kentucky's definitely tougher. But if you're going to compare the two road games, it's Georgia or South Carolina. State comes out way ahead on that. Right. But Kentucky... Toss-up to likely unwinnable. But Kentucky and Starkville has not been even competitive. Right. State has dominated that series here in Starkville. No. But that is a team that beat the brakes off of them last year. It is true. It's true, but they beat the brakes off of them in 2016, and or I'm sorry, in uh, 2018, and then when they came to Starville, State got them. And then in 2020, they beat them badly. And then last year, State beat or two years ago, State beat them badly in Starkville. For whatever reason, it's just been the home team has had that. I mean, that's something you can you can't extrapolate that. You can't count on it. But it's, it is the way that it's gone the last basically since 2008. Uh, and I will maintain that Kentucky upgraded at quarterback, losing an apparent top ten pick. I agree with that. They got better at quarterback with Devin Leary. He is better than Will Levis, and Will Levis is still going to get picked by the Colts or whoever. Yeah. Although they're going to get in get in on Lamar Jackson apparently, so they may not be drafting Will Levis after all. Wait, Kentucky's going to get in on Lamar Jackson? <laughs> hey, they could afford it. NIL, baby. So you going to play uh, for his second school? What? I don't know. I don't know. His what a flip from Louisville to Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah. He, even if he stays in Baltimore and actually plays this year, he's getting $32 million. So um, I know Kentucky's NIL program is competitive. I don't know if it's that competitive. No, no. The Colts might not be drafting Will Levis after all because uh, they're doing the the coaches and owners meetings and stuff this week and the Colts GM basically said, Yeah, we're we're gonna deeply look into that. Issue is guaranteed money. But anyway, it's not what we're talking about here. I can't I'm mad at myself for what I'm about to ask. You guys did the whole if you put LeBron on a sixteen seed, do they automatically win the tournament? It was Giannis, but Giannis, whatever. 
LeBron, Giannis. Oh, they're not the same. No, I, yeah, but they're both pretty good. If you put LeBron on an NCAA tournament 16 seed, they got a chance to go pretty deep in the tournament as well. Uh, does Lamar Jackson on any team in the SEC make them a favorite to win the national championship? Yes. 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 Okay. Absolutely. I put him on Vanderbilt. Seriously. I mean, I know it's Auburn and we're blinded by the helmet. A lot of people are blinded by the helmet. Cam Newton's national championship team had one other NFL player on it. One. Defensive line, Nick Fairley. Yeah, Nick Fairley was really good. That was it. One. That's Vanderbilt, basically. Vanderbilt's got an NFL player on it. You, you think. Pretty good at running back. Got a good yeah. wide receiver. Got a good safety. Okay. But but that's that's what... Cam Newton's Auburn was is Vanderbilt basically. Yeah, Lamar Jackson would win a national championship on any SEC team. James in Hattiesburg says, by the way, guys, this is the best Southern Miss team that State has played since these two teams started back playing. Agreed. Don't we have to see that first? Yeah, I think so. I mean, are they gonna are they gonna have a quarterback for all twelve games this year or are they gonna have a game where they, you know, have to run it fifty times? That is a really tough spot for State, though. I mean, you compare those two games. The game before the Egg Bowl. It's not Arkansas for Ole Miss this year. It's Louisiana-Monroe. And for State, it's a Southern Miss team that that has a salty defense, or at least they did last year, return a bunch of guys on that salty defense. And you know those guys are going to be jacked up to play in that one. It's going to feel a little bit different uh, as and, opposed and to on last the heels, year. on the heels of four straight SEC games, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Texas A&M. Those are the four the week before that, so we'll uh, we'll see. That's a long way away. Yeah, Get is. here in a hurry, but it's a long way away. Mike Bianco joins us next on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices, plus exclusive interviews with coaches, players, and legends from the past. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV, and of course on your Supertalk Mississippi stations all across the state of Mississippi. Time for us to go back to the Farm Bureau guest line. We're joined by Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco. And uh, Ole Miss coming off a, uh, a weekend in which they lost all three games to the Florida Gators. And Coach, I'd love to start here. Last week when we talked, uh, I think it was pretty clear that, that you weren't altogether pleased with the way your team had played in the road series against Vanderbilt. I know the real results were the same in that you lost all three games this weekend. I'm just curious if you feel differently about how your team played this weekend. Uh, great question. And, uh, you know, the answer is, yeah, I, th- I thought we competed better. You know, uh, you know, I think offensively, no doubt, you know, especially on Saturday in the doubleheader, uh, we played better, you know, um, against their, their arms. You know, they, they throw like Vanderbilt. There's, you know, three guys that, you know, come out. Uh, of the gates for for both you know teams that, that make you know life really hard for offenses and I thought we did a you know pretty good job you know on Saturday against Sprout and against Waldrop and and you know probably as good a job as anybody's done against them all year. Unfortunately, you know on the pitching side it's, it was a mixed bag where you know I thought we uh, put ourselves in position to win that that first game where six. 
three with six outs remaining, and we hand the ball off uh, to the bullpen and, and then can't finish the game. And then almost the opposite in game two on Saturday, uh, where, you know, we, we just don't do a good job, you know, at the beginning, you know, out of the shoot. Uh, give them too many runs and, you know, just, you know, not, not enough to, to come back offensively. You know, Sunday again, I thought we pitched it, you know, uh, you know, better, uh, from the start, but then, uh, again, can't, can't get off the field enough times. And, and so, you know, just not good enough, not playing well enough, but, but I thought, I thought we competed better. I thought, you know, we, we were in the games. We had chances to win, uh, at least two of the games. And, you know, again, didn't play well enough to do that, but much better than we did the weekend before. You know, it's rare in college baseball where we see a, a legitimate two-way player that has the ability to affect the game. You, you had one of those guys several years ago in Stephen Head. You, you played against one in Brendan McKay at, at Louisville a few years ago. We were talking earlier today about a few other of those guys, but Jack Caglione for Florida, my, my goodness. I mean, I, I was thinking back to that first game. Gonzalez hit two balls as hard as you can hit them to first base, and he makes incredible defensive plays, not to mention what he does with his bat and the arm. He, he's pretty unique, isn't he? No, uh, without a doubt. You know, and, uh, you know, m- might be the, 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 the scariest offensive player that, you know, we, we've seen all year. You know, just, uh, getting so many good swings off and, and really after facing them for, I don't know, maybe 15 at bats, still don't know, you know, what the weakness is. You know, where, you know, it's almost, you know, pick your poison and hope, hopefully you guess right, you know, at a certain time. But, you know, he handles the breaking ball, he handles the fastball away, he handles the fastball in, he handles change-ups, uh, gets a lot of great swings off. And like you said, you know, nobody really talks about first base defense, but you know, he was a, a game changer for him on Saturday. You know, diving at first base in the four hole down the line, made some super plays, and then you know, he starts on Sunday. And although uh, eight walks, in which you know we had opportunities early to yeah. to get a lead, uh, you know, we we only get one hit off of him. Mitch Morrell. Um, I don't know what people expected from him going into the season. I'm not even sure what you expected from him. Has he surpassed your expectations in terms of what he's giving you out of the bullpen? Yeah, I, I always cringe when, when that question is asked, has he surpassed your expectations? We certainly thought he'd be a, a piece and a valuable piece to the bullpen. But to this point, you know, he, he's probably uh, been, you know, arguably the best piece of the bullpen. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, he has thrown the ball into the strike zone, which I think has, you know, been the biggest difference for him this year. Uh, you know, cause he's always had the stuff. He's always had a, you know, low to mid nineties fastball. He's always had a breaking ball and a changeup, but you know he's he's putting himself in bad counts this year. He's putting himself in much better counts, uh, and, and the breaking ball is is legit. And uh, you know, and, and the one of the great things about Mitch is he's able to bounce back. He's you know he wants the ball every day, and and you know thankfully you know for 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 that you know we've been able to give it to him because you know we've needed every bit of it. What did you think of Xavier Rivas yesterday and what he gave you? Uh, ends up going five and two-thirds, only gives up the uh, the two earned runs. I guess it was four runs total and through 98 pitches, I think. Yeah, really good. Really good. Disappointed that, you know, usually we're better defensively and we, we drop a ball in the, in the outfield, uh, lose it in the sun. Uh, and, uh, you know, we miss a ball at third base and, you know, give up a couple unearned runs. Uh, and then with that, if, if we don't do that and add to his pitch count, not only do you knock two runs off the board, but, you know, he, he may get into the seventh. And, uh, mm. you know, I thought, I thought he was really good and really his pitch, 
pretty stellar the last three weekends. I mean, uh, you know, going back to the Purdue weekend, uh, you know, and he really had a rough first inning against Nebraska up in Minneapolis. After that, he kind of, you know, pitched well against a very good Nebraska team. So he's been by far the most consistent starter of, of the three. What did you think about Jack uh, in in the first game of the doubleheader? He's facing off against Brandon Sprout, who's coming off an unbelievable performance a week ago. Did, did you feel like Jack kind of kind of gave you a chance and and held his own? No doubt, no no doubt about it. And I, you know, kind of the the performance that uh, you know you're, you're looking for out of Jack, and you know the cutter was much better. And uh, like I said, in that first game, I mean, we're six three. Uh, in the eighth, you know, with, you know, six outs to go with a three run lead. And, you know, I think that's the thing that gets forgotten in it. You know, it, you know, when you lose all three, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself and wallow in your sorrow. But, you know, but, uh, but the truth of the matter is, you know, that's a game you got to win. And, you know, if you win that, you know, maybe, you know, things are different either game two or game three. And, and Jack, you know, certainly starting off against a guy like Sprout that, you know, is throwing the ball 100 miles an hour, you know, and, uh, you know, offensively, like I said, I thought we had a terrific approach and, uh, you know, got him out of the game. And uh, that's what you want to do. And I think Jack matched up well against them. I know we talked last week about, you know, when when you have depth issues at a certain position in college baseball, it's not like you can go out and add somebody to your roster midseason, but you do have a couple of guys that are, are rehabbing and, and working toward. Can you give us any kind of an update on, on progress for Hunter Elliott as he works his way back and then maybe also Riley Maddox? Well, Hunter, you know, is, you know, on a throw, they're both on a throwing protocol working their way back. Uh, doing great. Uh, you know, Hunter, you know, touched the mound today in a little short work. He's been, you know, long tossing and, um, and, 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 and kind of letting it, you know, go about every other day with a day off, you know, in between once a week. But he, uh, uh, he, 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 he looks really good, looks strong, looks healthy, spinning his breaking ball today. Uh, you know, change up, you know, everything looks really good. Uh, probably mid, mid April, you know, a few more weeks, you know, he's, he's got to get, you know, next week he'll start throwing full bullpens, uh, then he'll throw to some live hitters and then we'll see how that goes to where, you know, where does that, you know, fall, you know, into the schedule and when will he, you know, be able to start a game for us. Uh, Maddox threw today for the first time off the mound 100%, you know, so kind of the, the Tommy John, you know, throwing protocol, uh, it's really drawn out. And today, you know, he's been throwing off the mound, but today was the first day he was allowed to, to, to throw in a hundred percent and he was up to 93 and felt good and looked good. And, you know, the movement is, you know, what it was last year. So he looks, you know, very similar, very healthy. Uh, he's, you know, he don't look for him to probably late April, early May. This week, uh, Southern Miss tomorrow night in Pearl, and uh, second time you've played them, and then you got to go on the road this weekend to uh, College Station. I, I guess kind of starting with tomorrow night, what, what's the plan on the mound? Is it one of those multiple-guy nights, or uh, obviously you end up throwing multiple guys, but kind of what's the plan going in? Yeah, I think that's where we are on Tuesday. Is that you know you look to see a uh, you know bunch of guys throw, but we'll start with Sam Tukoy and you know Sam hasn't gotten a start yet, and uh, you know a guy that's pitched well out of the bullpen, you know, and he's had some rough spots as well. 
but he's a guy that you know, deserves one of these starts, and so he's going to get that tomorrow night. Uh, but you know, you'll see other guys that you know the normal bullpen guys that you'll you know, you've been accustomed to, and you know, switching up the rotation this weekend where we'll see uh, Jack again on Friday, but moving Revis to Saturday and starting JT Quinn on Sunday. So that that move puts Sonia into the bullpen, so Sonia could touch the the mound you know, tomorrow, and probably will touch the the mound tomorrow. You know, out of uh, out of the bullpen. And then last thing, kind of a, a back against the wall type weekend for you and for Texas A and M. To some degree, they come in at one and five, and, and you guys at zero and six. It feels like it could be a really high stakes weekend. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, but you know, I also look at it as there's 80% of the conference games left, and you guys like to talk about backs <laughs> against the wall and you know, you know, make or break weekends. And I think that's you know, the, you know, every coach I would imagine you ever ask that question to cringes when somebody asks them that question. We, we got to take care of tomorrow night. Once tomorrow night's taken care of, we we need to worry about Friday night. I, I don't know about make or break. I think there's a lot of games left. We just need to start playing a little better baseball. Maybe just an important weekend. How about that? And I think they're all important, but you're right. Yeah, that's the most important because it's the next weekend. Mike, thanks as always for your time. Look forward to talking to you next Monday. Hi, Richard. Thank you. That's Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So something we've talked about but we haven't talked about on the show. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, both 0-6, but are all 0-6s created equally? We'll talk about that next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on supertalk.fm, the Supertalk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. Thanks to Scott Berry, Chris Lamonis, and Mike Bianco for joining us today on the Farm Bureau Guest Line as they do each Monday during the baseball season. Good to visit with all of them. Of course, Southern Miss getting two of three from Georgia Southern this weekend. Mississippi State swept at home by Vanderbilt to start league play 0-6. Ole Miss swept at home by Florida to start league play 0-6. So there is a common opponent for Mississippi State and Ole Miss in that they have both played Vanderbilt. Mississippi State at home, Ole Miss on the road. Ole Miss has also played Florida at home. Mississippi State has also played Kentucky on the road. Both are 0-6 to start league play. You've been with us all afternoon, and you heard our conversation with Chris Lamonis and our conversation with Mike Bianco. I thought the tone from the two coaches was a little bit different. And so throw out the question to you. Both are 0-6 in league play. Are they the same O and sixes, though, when you look at the start to conference play for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss? Well, obviously not, uh, for two reasons. One is the nature of, of the games and the way State's losing them. They've now given up double-digit runs or more, double, not or more, but double-digit runs in five straight games. <laughs> not or more, that would, be, that would be a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. 12-3, 17 3, 26 3, 18 5, 11 7. I mean, Ole scores are more competitive. Secondly, is you have to look through it, some things through the prism of the year before. State has now lost 17 straight SEC games. They haven't won since they won on Friday night at Missouri. They lost the next two of that series. They were swept out the last three series, and now they've swept the first two series this year. Ole Miss is coming off of a national title. So, it, you know, to, to take it a step back, if we were doing this last year and both teams were 0-6, and, and we were saying, is it the same? We would say no, because the state's coming off of a national title, whereas this Ole Miss team, you know, we don't know about them. So I think that that's what it is. State playing so poorly, and they're, they're uncompetitive. I said it on the podcast. I said it. I'll say it here again. You could have taken all corn to start for this weekend and played those three games, and the scores really aren't going to be that different than what you saw. No offense to Alcorn. So, I think I think it's it's quite obviously different. I think people who look at Ole Miss go like, "Gosh, you know, once they get Elliott back, they they could be okay." Whereas with State, there's just a lot of I don't know what's wrong with that team. They're broken. Is there more of a path forward? For Ole Miss, I mean, when when you okay, you look at the two. If you if you say they're they're not the same, and Ole Miss has got pitching issues, I guess that there's well, they're not. Guess Mike Bianco just told us that there is hope moving forward that they will get Hunter Elliott back into the mix in mid-April and Riley Maddox toward the end of April, beginning of May, and so those are a couple of plus additions to the pitching staff. Mississippi State got to be hopeful to get Cade Smith back on the staff soon as well, though we don't know a specific timetable there. Is there is there hope for both of these teams? For either, for both, for neither? Well, I mean, and it's what well, we we talked about a little bit ago that with Ole Miss, it's more about, you know, it's, it'll be great to get Hunter Elliott back. And, you know, you're, the pitching for Ole Miss has not been great, for sure. But Ole Miss has got to figure out some things at the plate. I mean, they, they against Vanderbilt, they were just, they couldn't get anything going. They're hitting 199 as a team. With State, they're only hitting 242 as a team in conference play. Overall, they're hitting 298, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, at least they're getting some guys on base and they're scoring some runs. But their pitching is just so bad. And, I, you know, I like the idea of moving Loft into the weekend. But once again, you know, right now it looks like I don't think Kate Smith's going to start this weekend. So your starting rotation is going to be three guys that were in this last class. And this is, these are their – this will be, the you know, if, if, if it's Sinjay and Gartman or if it's Sinjay and Dom or however you want to do it, you know, you're talking about guys who have started at best two SEC games in their career. Lofton, if he gets a start, he'll be it'll be his first. I mean, that's not a formula for winning baseball in the SEC. Now, it might be great in three years when those guys have a ton of experience and they're just locked in. But for right now, I mean, that is a path to suffer. No question about it. Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. If y'all are going to do what I think you're going to do, don't. I'd rather the last 30 minutes be discussing what you cooked this weekend. <laughs> okay. We kind of got to dissect it a little bit. Uh, Dwayne and Brandon, 
I wish Mike Bianco would have said, at least we're not losing as bad a state. I don't know that that's entered his mind. <laughs> that would have been funny. He's like, man, you know, we think we're bad. Look down the road. They're awful. Um, Brian says 0-12 is 0-12, talking about the combined records of the two. The, the context is, I mean, yes, the, the problems on this year's team, sure. And, and State was non-competitive and Ole Miss was, I mean, Ole Miss choked away the game, game one on Saturday. It just When you're up three in the eighth inning, you win the baseball game. Uh, but the context is what happened a year ago. That That's what makes State's 0-6 different. It's not just what happened on the field this past weekend, it's what happened on the field this past weekend and the weekend before, and when you lose to Louisiana Monroe and VMI after winning nine conference games last year. That's what makes this for State feel so different than it does for Ole Miss. Like, I've talked to Ole Miss fans, and like, how are they so bad on the mound? Well, injuries helped, but also they're in some spots they're just not particularly good on the mound. There's no reliable arm at the moment that can give you Rivas looked good this past weekend. Maybe there's one. Otherwise, inconsistent abound. And that includes him, too. But last year they won the national championship. So that makes what's happening now a little bit easier to digest and, and just kind of sit back and relax and, hey, look, they won the trophy last year. Same thing, figure it out. Whatever. When you're coming off of that, it's it's just not the same as finishing last, winning non-conference games, and then being non-competitive. That context is what makes... There's so so different than the the one in Oxford. That's just that's the reality of the situation. CJ in the Delta says, "What about Josh Mallets? What is his injury? He had a UCL injury, had Tommy John surgery this summer. He will not pitch this year. It's a it's a full year throwing program or recovery process, and you're just not going to push it farther than that." But yeah, when I mean you're thinking about Ole Miss's struggles on the mound, if you, I mean, if you just want to like replay this weekend without injuries, I mean, game one against Florida, you're Hunter Elliott, and then maybe you go to Jack Doherty out of the bullpen, or maybe you've moved Doherty into the two spot already and done something different with Grayson Saunier, and you hand it off to Josh Mallets. I mean, you. You probably feel really good about that. And look, Mason Nichols just didn't pitch well. I mean, Mason Nichols has been really good, and he's pitched in some really big spots. But the, the sophomore just had a bad outing. And that's why Florida was able to come back. Florida, a good offensive team. Um, Mike in Oxford says, State's pitching is giving up more runs per game than Georgia's football team gave up points per game. I mean, okay. it's, it's possible. I believe him. It doesn't. It doesn't seem so out of out of. It doesn't seem out of uh, out of the realm of possibility. At least in SEC play. Yeah. Um. There are no moral victories in football. The same in baseball. That's from Jody and Ponatok. I, I didn't. I didn't hear a moral victory. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but Bianco should have left Morrell in when he was doing well in the first game. There was no reason to pull him. Yeah, he was cruising a bit. He's pitching well. He was. Um let's see here. 
Oh, this guy was mad at us. Um, oh, come on. Can you even say that without it being offensive? Uh, this, no. is, this is a tallest short guy argument, and you're defending it. Okay. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You guys are arguing who is the tallest short guy for the sake of content. This is the most Ole Miss thing I've ever heard. It had to be your idea, Richard. Okay. I, I, I would like to – I wish we had time. We're up against a break. I would love to digest that text. The guy is complaining about people in the content business creating content. Well, but more specifically, I, he is upset about us talking about Ole Miss baseball and Mississippi State baseball, which we kind of do about eight months out of the year. On a Monday after both programs got swept and we're trying to figure out how bad is it, is there any hope to be found anywhere for either team? In the transfer portal, in the offseason. <laughs> not, not during the regular season. Uh, that, yeah. That's where the hope lies. Bunch of pitchers. Call up Jeff, the collectives. Jeff wants to know if Mississippi State has ever lost 17 straight conference games in its history. No. This is I a don't. school record. No, I, I'm telling you, it's no. Okay. We're going to trust you on that there, Mr. Haydad. We will wrap up the Monday edition of Sports Talk Mississippi next. Mississippi. What is going on here? Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. It's about time. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line. You guys know who the home team is tomorrow night for the Rebs and Southern Miss. Trying to get some tickets, but can't find it anywhere. Taking the little one for a first game and wanted to have the full red and blue experience. Uh, Ole Miss will be the home game or the home team. So the way they agreed to do that, however many years ago, was whoever had the home game in either Hattiesburg or Oxford, was also the home team in Pearl. I don't know. I mean, from my standpoint, it would have made sense to do it the other way, but nobody asked me. So that's uh, we'll see. Mike says he thinks that uh, Josh Mallets doesn't pitch for Ole Miss again in his career. So we'll see. I mean, he was really, really good at the end of last season. That slider was unhittable, and he was low 90s, low mid-90s with his fastball. Mike says, yeah, I think he gets drafted high enough to go after this season and finishes his rehab at the next level. So, we'll see. If it works out that way for him, you tip your cap to him and tell him, congratulations, thanks for the help of the national championship. But he could have been a would have been a huge piece this year for this Ole Miss team. So, what about this, guys? This Let's see here. Um, oh, I lost the message I was responding to a second ago. 
So I was saying that things worked. Uh, yeah. Don't forget that Bianca was going to be fired. If he didn't cancel the Arkansas State game last year to sneak into the postseason, it isn't all well up there either. Except you're stopping mid-May. You're not playing the season out through the end of June. When you say that, he says, uh, this is Brad, he says they played three good weeks of baseball, but outside of that it hasn't been great. That's just not true, though, because the, the thing that Ole Miss fans were upset about was the lack of trips to Omaha. And not only did they get back to Omaha, which was the issue, they carried a trophy off the field at the end of it. Consistency with the program had not been the issue. The program has been incredibly consistent for two-plus decades under Mike Bianco. They've missed three tournaments in, in 23 years. Three years? Well, 20. wait, the COVID year takes one off. So, But they would have made it that year. Yeah, maybe so. Four but, but, conference but, yeah. losing records. Not losing records, conference losing records since 2002. Yeah. Hey, Dan, I know you addressed this earlier in the show today, but we get a text again with a, a slightly different offense, uh, audience at, at this point, and it says, so how did we get to this point two years removed from a national championship? Uh, I mean, like I said, I think I think it's – Mainly recruiting and development. You know, when you look at the pitching staff, there's not a lot. You know, baseball, in my opinion, is a team where if you have a lot of seniors, you're probably not very good, right? Because those guys have had a chance to be drafted at least twice and aren't, and they're still in the roster. That means they're probably not great baseball players. But by that same token, you know, you should be, should always have sophomores and juniors making up the, the bulk of things. And state's pitching rotation this year doesn't have that. You know, it's a lot of freshmen. It's a lot of new faces. It's a lot of guys who haven't pitched in the SEC, and and it shows. It shows every time they go out. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com. The new spring collection is here, and it is spectacular. You can uh, see the entire spring collection online at genteelapparel.com, or you can uh, search for a men's clothing store in your area. If you're in the Oxford area, be sure to check out Landry's on the square in Oxford. Not only do they have the new arrivals for spring, but they've got the collegiate collection with Ole Miss stuff. You can also find uh, Mississippi State stuff and uh, your favorite team as well as part of the collegiate collection from Genteel Apparel online at genteelapparel.com. Remember that Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. We didn't spend a ton of time today talking about the Final Four. We will uh, do that Throughout the course of the uh, the rest of the week, we'll spend some time on that tomorrow and uh, plenty more with you. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Enjoy your evening. you got, I don't know, hour, hour and a half of daylight left. Plenty of time for Hey Dad to go home and mow the yard. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. Right, Hey Dad? Thunder and lightning uh, about to get recorded here, so no. In the Pearl River Resort Studios, we will talk to you tomorrow afternoon. Good night.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.